We are here to try to explain to you what it is we do here. The solar industry in the U.S. employs more people than Google, Apple, Facebook, and Twitter combined. The most valuable commodity I know of is information. Wouldn't you agree? Welcome into the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. I am your host, Fred Davis, joined as always by the founder and president of eRenewable, Mr. Mike Niemer. Mr. Mike Niemer, we are barreling into fall. It's actually starting to be somewhat tolerable here in, in, in the great city of Houston, Texas. Uh, how are you feeling right now with, uh, with everything that's going on as, you know, we're, we're, we're in the throes of this thing? Yes, we are in the throes of it. I, I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, the city uh, is doing okay with COVID-19, so we're not uh, not falling down the hard times like some of the northern states. So we're doing okay there. So that makes everything a lot better and uh, helps society function a little bit better. And uh, the weather is nicer. And uh, the most exciting thing of all is uh, our guest today uh, gives our listeners a different perspective than other guests we've had in the past. So that's exciting to hear about. And I know he'll do a good job. And uh, I'm looking forward to hearing the podcast as we go into the home stretch in Q4 here, uh, delivering uh, our educational and hopefully entertaining podcast for all the listeners out there. So, Fred? No, we certainly have, and uh, we do appreciate that. And like I said, for those of you that, uh, if you're new to the podcast, we certainly appreciate you coming on board with us, whether you're finding it on Apple iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get, wherever it is you get your podcast. We do ask you, if you are listening to it on Apple iTunes, leave us a five-star rating. If you want to leave a review, by all means, you're more than welcome to do that as well, but we certainly would appreciate if you, if you leave that five-star rating. Why? Because as we like to say here on the Green Insider Podcast, you're going to leave with more information than you came in with about renewable energy and that's certainly what's going to be the case here in episode 11 we're very excited about our guest here in episode 11 why because this guy's probably forgotten more about the electrical market than uh, most of us will ever know the one the only the executive director of the north american energy markets association aka NEMA, the one the only mr steve shepherd and mr shepherd you're located in the great state of florida right now a first off how are you surviving with the COVID? and uh we know florida and much like texas is uh kind of taking a a different approach to combating the virus but uh how has that gone down in in tallahassee and uh just a little background on uh your history here in the uh in the energy field sure thing and good afternoon and thanks for and mike for inviting me and having me here today um and you're right, uh, Florida's doing pretty good now. We had our, our issues back in the summertime with COVID, but interestingly enough, I'm in Tallahassee, Leon County, and our numbers are relatively low right now. Thank goodness. Interesting enough, since we have two large universities in town, both uh, FSU and FAMU, but uh, so far so good, and fingers crossed that it stays that way. Uh, I was going to say, you guys have probably, I mean, listen, being in Tallahassee, you've probably caught more flack with uh, the, the performance of the Florida State football team more so than anything else before they were able to notch that W against uh, North Carolina the other day. Yeah, it made the, the, the Seminoles down here very happy to beat North Carolina last week because they desperately needed to get a, a quality win in the books, and they did. 
They certainly did. They certainly did. Well, speaking of quality wins, you've uh, you've certainly stacked your fair share uh, in a forty plus year career. And you know the one thing about the the Neyman, and listen, we focus a lot on renewable energy here, and for good reason, uh, as powered by the e renewable company. But you know you've got a very interesting kind of you know bird's eye view because again you've been on you've been involved in in, in various sectors of uh, the electrical world. Just uh, you, for the folks at home, just a quick kind of you know thirty second. 45 second bio whatever you want to be about kind of where you know the the the, the impetus of steve shepherd in your career and just kind of how it kind of uh, eventually found its way into nama sure thing happy to do so uh, so as you mentioned i've been uh, in the industry for goodness gracious almost 40 years now uh, about half my time with uh, investor owned utility detroit edison now uh, better known as dt energy and then the other half of the time in the unregulated side of the business. So but at Edison, I went through the typical spectrum of uh, progression of positions uh, from traditional engineering based into marketing, marketing sales, management, all those traditional things one might do at an investor-owned utility. Until in uh, 1998, uh, Detroit Edison formed a couple unregulated regulated retail affiliates because retail choice was coming. It already... Uh, landed in the mid-Atlantic and it was coming to Michigan, at least so it was thought at the time. So formed a couple unreg retail entities. I worked with both of them, did that for a few years, and then went to the wholesale side of life with uh, DT Energy Trading, stayed there until, oh goodness, 97, went to Constellation, uh, which was then subsequently purchased by Exelon a number of years later. And so did all of that uh, uh, through end of 15, retired, for a heartbeat that didn't take, uh, came back, did some consulting with actually uh, Expo, which is a member of NEMA, and then uh, came on board with NEMA last year when Mike Critchley, my predecessor, uh, retired. God bless Mike. He had done that job for 13 plus years. Outstanding job, irreplaceable. So I'm, I'm in the unenviable spot of trying to follow a living legend, but uh, here I am. No, here you are indeed, and and so uh, you know, you like you said, you retired in 2015. You said, as you like to say, you retired for a heartbeat. What was it about retirement that just didn't really take for you, and and why you needed back in the game? Well, I, I guess the easy answer is I was done doing what I was doing, if that makes sense. But mm-hmm. I wasn't ready to be done. Done. Okay. So, took a couple minutes, uh, actually a couple years, actually uh, moved down to Tallahassee from Michigan, and had to get life resituated to a completely new culture and city and all those good things and then realized you know what i have a lot of spare time on my hands i'm not ready to be really dumb so i uh, got back in the game and you knew i mean it was the was the move to tallahassee was that i mean was that has that something you already planned on or was that did that kind of go along with going to becoming uh, the executive director or, or latching back on with nema uh, completely unrelated that was family based my daughter's down here uh three grandkids so that was absolutely a grandkid driven relocation program okay and it just so happened that nama was now do you work remotely or or how's that work there with your uh with Remote, your role NEMA doesn't really have a physical space gotcha. uh, we're very thinly staffed it's me down in tallahassee uh, donna for is our deputy director she's up in uh, minnesota and mike critchley actually got bless him He's still on staff assisting me with financial responsibilities. Uh, he's up there as well. But no real physical space per se. We all just work remote. Gotcha. Got you guys. So you guys were doing that before it became the uh, chic thing to do, essentially. Yep. 
And let me ask you this then. So because you guys are all coming from different parts of the country, how does that help as far as just from giving you guys – I mean, obviously with all the, the years of experience you have, I mean, you've got a variety of viewpoints already. But how does it – you know, with her being in Minnesota, you being in Florida, how, how does that lend to the differing viewpoints or just kind of give different perspectives for uh, where we're at and different – or, you know, where different things are working uh, in the energy markets? Yeah, you know, I suppose it's helped a bit, but you know, realistically, I was a Midwestern boy myself. Okay. In, you know, Southeast Michigan for until about five years ago, so we all had relatively similar perspectives and outlooks on the energy market. But having said that, we were all involved, and you know, North American energy markets are—we've all been involved with them and throughout the geography. So physically being one place or another didn't really matter as much as what the experiences we had in the various jobs we had, which did touch lots and lots of different geographies. So you join, you, you come over here to NEMA, and for the folks that don't know, I mean, I'm, I'm you know, just doing a little research on, on NEMA. Um, I mean, clearly you guys, uh, what you guys have been doing, I mean, basically since 1996, and you guys have gone through a couple iterations since then, and, and, and I'll have you touch on that. But what exactly is kind of the key mission and objective for NEMA? What, 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 y'all's, uh, what, what do you guys wake up each day trying to accomplish? Well, first, uh, you know, quick statement, I guess, is that we're an independent nonprofit trade association representing entities involved in the buying and selling of energy or in providing services to the energy industry. So that's kind of like a boilerplate statement. Uh, the members work together to promote informed, efficient, open energy markets throughout North America. So those are all great buzzwords. But at the end of the day, and this is, you know, coming out of some uh, recently revised vision and mission statements that we just developed in conjunction with the board. But if I had to boil it down to the, the key things that we seek to accomplish and achieve, one is to host industry leading events for networking, relationship building, business development opportunities. Uh, we develop uh, power, gas, renewable energy contracts and transaction templates that hopefully are embraced by the industry. Uh, we provide training and educational opportunities to enhance you know, the members' professional competence. And, uh, and last but not least, we promote mutual respect among our members, regulators, market participants, and all the other folks that might be involved in the energy markets. Those are the four fundamental underpinnings of what it is, you know, NAMA is looking to uh, achieve. When you look at what you got, and, and so when you came on board in 2019, you talked about your predecessor who'd been there for 13 years. What was kind of how what, what was kind of that handoff of like, and and what did you? I mean, he decided to retire. What was kind of your what? I mean, was it just hey, this thing's rocking and rolling. We just want to make sure we keep this train going. What what was kind of your you know uh, uh, order of the day, or, or what what was kind of on your your agenda as far as how you wanted to continue on uh, with you know with kind of the boilerplate four things that you guys uh, adhere to. Well, I, I would say, as I mentioned before, Mike did an outstanding job. So I'm, I'm always been a proponent of something's not broke. Don't try too hard to fix it. Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, he had a legacy of putting on two very successful conferences every year, uh, one spring, one fall, typically would get upwards of 250 people attending. Uh, I know when I was in the industry as an originator, I would absolutely circle the dates of the spring and fall conferences on my calendar because I knew that would be one of the preeminent opportunities to network and meet people in the industry uh, all about, at the end of the day, getting commercial transactions done. Everybody else knows that as well. So that's a real fundamental underpinning of what it is NEMA does and what it offers. So at a minimum, keep those conferences going and don't muck it up. And I'd like to think we've done an okay job. Now, mind you, COVID 
doing what it's done, we had to cancel both the spring and the fall conferences this year. Uh, highly disappointing, but also very, very appropriate. Uh, we pivoted on a dime. Everybody likes to use that word pivot because we're all doing that now. But uh, we started oh, probably going back in time. Oh, when exactly? We switched gears and we started hosting virtual presentations. Uh, we did one in May and then we formally got into the program in August, late August. So now we're offering twice a month, the second and fourth Wednesday of the month, a virtual presentation by a whole host of different uh, subject matter experts, some members, some non-members, about topics of great interest to the membership, both education, training, and updates. So we're going to continue to do that through the end of the year. Now, mind you, when I came on board, nobody anticipated we'd be doing this. But given COVID and all the circumstances that went along with it, we very much needed to offer additional value-added um, services and products to the memberships, thus virtual presentations. So we did that. Uh, we've done a lot of actual behind the scenes um, initiatives, governance. We changed the bylaws. Uh, we've changed their vision and mission. We've uh, changed our uh, website. We've got a new email server. So lots of stuff that the world may or may not appreciate or see. Hopefully some of it they do. So there's been a lot of that going on in addition to the stuff technical word that we're offering to the membership, like the virtual presentations. Hey, Steve, I know uh, a lot of groups, when they've had to cancel their annual or semi-annual conventions, they're doing virtual and they're doing four, five, six-hour days, two, three days in a row. I want to hand it to you for breaking yours up into one-hour days because it's so much easier to fit a virtual in once every other week for an hour. And by the time you get through a series of events, you basically covered everything that was going to be at the seminar. It's much easier to attend that kind of virtual conference than sitting at your computer for three days trying to attend a, a virtual conference. So for me personally, my hat's off to you guys for making that decision to do them in one-hour increments. I think that's a big win. Well, thank you, Mike. I appreciate that feedback. And actually, not surprisingly, I suppose we talked long and hard about that because initially the thought was, well, gee, we'll just do like other folks and we'll do a virtual spring and or fall conference. And it would have been not too much unlike what you just described. And we all said, you know what, I, I don't think that's going to work, at least not for us and not for our membership. So we went down the path that we went. So I'm glad to hear that that's that's working for you. And I've gotten feedback from other folks that have pretty, you know, pretty much said the same thing, which is encouraging. Now, now that said, now that I've said that, is that um, we fully hope that we'll have our two conferences next year. Next one in the, the lineup being spring in April, third week of April. I think it's fourth week of April, actually. Um, but it's going to be in Austin, Texas, and it fully is intended to be a live event. Now, we also know that as we sit here today, there are a couple member companies who've already said they'll not allow their members or employees to travel through April of next year. And that's sitting here today. So we may well have to do a hybrid next year where we'll offer the, the you know, the person-to-person -person physical event. And we may well live stream for those folks who just can't get there, but would like to participate in the conference. So it'll have a bit of a flavor of what you just described, but I think we'll have to offer that for folks who just can't travel, knowing that there's going to be hopefully a bunch who can. Yeah, I agree. Cause through this whole thing, uh, the one thing your events were always extremely good for was that networking. Unlike a lot of other shows, 
they weren't necessarily as network friendly as yours. And you guys, Mike and Donna, and you have all done a good job in uh, helping everybody socialize among themselves, exchanging business cards, exchanging ideas. And it's always a very productive. I've been to two of them. I went to Nashville and Scottsdale and uh, I learned at both of them and met a lot of people at both of them. So uh, hopefully we can get back to that point because virtually it is more difficult. That's for sure. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a challenge. And thank you for that feedback. And we're looking at ways to, you know, provide networking virtually. And I know there's some folks that are doing it and, uh, and, and we're going to give it a try, I suspect, but it's not quite as good as the, you know, person to person, but uh, you know, these are challenging times and we just need to be flexible and do what we can do uh, depending on situations. You know, it's funny because, you know, again, you'd been out of, you know, you like you said, you'd been retired for a little bit and you, you come on the heels of, a, of uh, your predecessor had been there 13 years. And I mean, you know, I mean, a recession here or there. But I mean, for the most part, I mean, we've been in a pretty decent economic state for the last half decade or so. What um, who did you consult like when, when when COVID hits, you know, you're essentially in your you know, you're looking forward to taking this thing over. And, and now let me ask you this real quick before I finish with this question. Did you oversee the conferences in 2019 or had they already been? What, what part of 2019 did you take over? So I formally took over after the spring conference in 2019. So I was physically there. I was introduced to the membership. OK, Mike was still in charge. And then I actually ran the conference with Donna, of course. Yeah. But we we ran the conference in Scottsdale in fall of last year. So you so you had one under your belt. So you're going into 2020 thinking, okay, I got that first one done. This is going to be my first year, you know, full year at the helm, knocking out two of them uh, this year. You know, you I'm sure you had your your barometer for what you were looking to achieve and and how you know what you would deem a success. When it looked like okay, COVID is going to disrupt all this. You're in your first year, you know, at the helm. What did you? What, what was kind of your approach? Um, you know, because again, this was unlike anything that you've ever encountered in your career. Um, from a leadership and from a personal perspective, kind of how did you handle? Um, you know, kind of the uncertain territory that you were in, not just as an executive director, but just you know, the country as a whole. It, it's uh, it's uh, interesting to say the least. I mean. Very challenging. You're obviously unanticipated. I think back to when we canceled the spring conference that was going to be in Philadelphia. And uh, at the time, that was a massive decision, very difficult decision, because what we didn't know is what we didn't know. So we thought, oh, my goodness, you know, we tried to collect all the data we could from all the places we could and ultimately decided, you know what, we were an early mover, actually, when it came time to cancel conferences like this. And so so we did. And obviously, in retrospect, uh, given that it was going to be in April, that was the only decision to be made. It had to happen. But at the time, you know, who knew? Yeah. <laughs> so we continued to roll and evolve. And we fully thought we'd be able to hold the fall conference in Atlanta. Um, that didn't happen. Uh, we were able to discern the situation much sooner on that. Uh, Philly was canceled without a whole lot of notice because that whole thing blew up without a whole lot of notice. Atlanta, we had much more lead time, so we could give a lot of notification to members and sponsors and the venue and whatnot. And all the while, we, you know, talking amongst the staff and the board, I will mention we have an outstanding board, 12 members, all from uh, member companies in the industry, very active, very involved, uh, Tremendous amount of help, and I, I applaud them. Uh, they've been very good in helping me with this transition. So we had a lot of conversations about, okay, what do we do? We can't host these conferences. We're collecting these dues. Uh, 
we've got to provide value. So how do we provide value? Hence the virtual presentations. We actually had a notion of hosting small regional physical networking events where it wouldn't be 250 people, but maybe we did one in Minneapolis or one in Houston, and maybe you had 25, 30 people gather and do something like that. Well, COVID's kind of nipped that in the bud as well. So that's a, a notion in the back of our mind that we may well implement that when the time is right. But for the time being, doing anything physical, person to person, doesn't work. So we continue to offer the virtuals and then just whatever we think we can come up with is providing value to the membership, then that's what they're what we're doing. And we're just staying creative and paying attention to the wants and needs of the membership as best we can. And you guys have certainly done that. So the one thing about the North American uh, Energy Markets Association um, that, that uh, interests us, obviously, from a, a green insider perspective, hence the name, uh, is the renewable side of things. And we'll get your we'll get your thoughts on how you know the the the, the player that the renewables have become and just kind of how they've they've grown in stature as a part of uh, the NEMA brand. But NEMA doesn't discriminate when it comes to energy. I mean, if there's energy to be had out there, NEMA wants in. Um, how has that evolved from when this thing started in 1996 to where we're at today? Well, uh, and mind you, I was not actively involved in AMA back then, but I know enough people that were right. read enough that, you know, back in the day, the membership tended to be more of the traditional investor-owned utilities, uh, load-serving companies, investor-owned utilities, municipal utilities, cooperative utilities, joint action agencies, a lot of those folks. Uh, some merchant generation companies, because there was a bunch of them coming up in that time frame because of deregulation in the industry. Some renewable, but not a lot. Uh, again, that was in the early days of renewables. And then over time, it has slowly evolved such that uh, more and more renewable generation companies that that's the only thing they do are members. And I can say this, I just checked the membership roster. We have 24 members who are strictly renewable based. Now we have a total of 148 members right now. Okay. Out of that 148, you've got 24 that are strictly renewable. And then there's a bunch of them that among other things, they also have a renewable component. So I would hazard to guess out of our membership, goodness gracious, probably over 50% in one way, shape, form, or another are involved in the renewable space. Really? Okay. So, you know, and, and, and one of the things, and we talked a little bit in our last podcast, because uh, I'm curious, one of the things you talked about before we started the show um, that, that kind of tickled my fancy a little bit, and this is something that Mike and I have, have uh, discussed, um, is, and, and Tim Eccles uh, from the Georgia Public Service Commission uh, enlightened us a little bit more in, in uh, episode 10, is nuclear energy. Where is, first of all, where does NEMA, I mean, do you guys, and, and like I said, I know you guys are a, a nonprofit, and, and so do you guys give kind of your thoughts on where the energy market's headed? Do you guys give opinions on things or are you guys pretty much just a support uh, arm of, of, hey, we're here to help you guys out. We're here with, you know, like I said, tariffs, or excuse me, templates, examples, what have you. Where do you guys stand as far as giving your your, your opinion on, on, you know, certain markets of, or certain aspects of the market, uh, or excuse me, of the energy market? That's a great question. I'm glad you brought that up. So two key points to make, I guess, is one that we really don't offer opinions. Okay. We don't opine. Uh, we don't lobby. We get asked that a lot. We're not lobbyists. We are strictly a venue that comes together for members to meet, greet, build relationships, network, get deals done, and to educate and train. So we do not take a position. 
uh, one way or the other related to various trends in the industry. We listen, we watch, we understand. We try to provide information, training, and education as appropriate in response to what we see happening in the industry and what the membership tells us they want to know more about. So case in point, a lot of folks are very interested in storage right now. So in fact, our next virtual presentation is uh, October 28th. Uh, Lockheed Martin will be presenting on uh, long duration storage. And that invitation just went out yesterday, day before we've already got like 50 plus people indicating that they're interested that have already registered, I believe. So we try to watch and understand what the trends are and then respond accordingly, but don't opine nor provide opinions on those trends. Okay. Sorry, I'm taking notes here. Hold on one second. Gotcha. 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 And hey, so Steve, if one of okay. our listeners uh, wants to uh, go to your next presentation that you've got at the end of October, it, let's uh, give them the website so they can go check it out so that you might be able to make that 51 people attending if one of our listeners happens to hear it. Absolutely. Yes. The website is uh, www.naema.com. And at the homepage, you'll see uh, there's a, a scrolling window. And I think the second scrolling window talks about virtual presentations. And if you scroll to the bottom of the homepage, you'll also see a link directly to the upcoming virtual presentation. I will say this, that that presentation is free to members, but for non-members, there's a, a $50 charge. Okay. Fifty dollars for non members. Gotcha. Okay, and that's October twenty eighth. That's October twenty eighth. That's uh, three o'clock uh, Eastern Daylight. Gotcha. Okay. How have you guys kind of resisted that temptation to, you know, become lobbyists or start because I'm I'm sure there's been some, you know, prodding or, or, or internal discussion at some point or maybe outside influence that have said, you know what, maybe we can lift our, our profile, if you will, uh, if you get into that side of things. How, how, how has NEMA been able to stay? And maybe the fact that you guys are a nonprofit, is obvious, maybe that's been what, what's, what's been the grounding source and all that. But how has NEMA resisted that temptation to be more uh, influential, I guess, for lack of a better phrase? I think that goes to the credit of Mike. Uh, Critchley and Donna and, and the board. Okay. And I'm trying to continue this legacy. And that is, and I think the membership appreciates the, the fact that we do not take positions. I bet. That, that is not our role. And they understand that and they respect and appreciate it because they know that we will fairly present any and all comers with relevant information, topics, whatever the case may be. And I think that is very much respected and appreciated, actually, by the membership. So there's really been, to my knowledge at least, uh, no pressure to say, "Now, nah, come on, guys, you you need to promote wind or solar or you know pick your topic of the day. Come on, get behind that." We I've not witnessed any pressure to do anything like that. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, Steve Shepard, Executive Director for uh, North American Energy Markets Association, joining us here on the Green Insider Podcast. And so, uh, no, nuclear energy was something that, uh, and, and kind of bringing it back to the, uh, before the question was about uh, outside uh, influence, but where do you guys, 
are, are is is enough being done, or do we know enough about nuclear energy? Uh, like I said, we talked about this with Tim ne- Eccles last week. Uh, do do enough folks here know about it, or is it just kind of the whole we don't know what to do with nuclear waste? And just the word nuclear kind of gives people, you know, because of Chernobyl, uh, it, it, that maybe people still think, eh, yeah, we can it, it can power a lot, but at the same time, that just the ramifications of it is just too much and too dangerous. Okay, so I'm going to be careful so I don't violate what I just talked about. Absolutely. Just educate us on, yeah, on where you... I where Fred you... was trying to trap you there. <laughs> <laughs> you said uh, you you're, don't you're, take a position. Go ahead and let's, let's try that. <laughs> so, okay, now I'm going to tap dance a little bit here. So I will, I will say this. Well, I work for two companies, actually three companies, all of which own, operate a uh, nuclear generation facility. N- nuclear has been around for a very long time. Yeah. So the industry knows what it's doing as it relates to nuclear. So that just, that's just a fact. That's not a, a position or an opinion. It's, it's a fact. Uh, it's also an expensive technology to build new construction nuclear. That's why you don't see much new construction nuclear at all right now. Now, having said that, you want to talk about zero emission generation? Well, that's zero emission generation right there. But there's issues with storage, not storage, but disposal of the waste. Right. Uh, yet to be resolved. Uh, heaven knows when that gets fully resolved. So that that's kind of the, the flying the ointment for a nuke. You know, I guess I won't give one quick opinion. There's two of them. One is how to deal with nuclear waste storage. And it's expensive, very expensive from a capital cost perspective to build new nuke. Those are the two issues that are constantly being grappled with by the industry. Uh, they're trying to get to the answers. Uh, the answers aren't there, at least in a commercially scalable way, not yet. Gotcha. That makes. Hey, listen. That, that uh, those are two quick answers that make all the sense in the world. Uh, all right. So now, uh, dovetailing into our neck of the woods, the renewable side of things, and 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 you kind of touched on it already. The pro- proliferation, if you will. Um, whereas you know you've got over fifty percent of one hundred and forty eight members that are either strictly renewable based and or have some sort of uh, renewable capacity or renewable asset to them. Are you surprised at how the, the, the growth and just kind of the maturation of the solar and wind and renewable market has pretty much proliferated in, you know, day-to-day mainstream uh, electrical markets? I would say the growth doesn't surprise me necessarily, but the, the, the speed with which it has grown is a bit surprising, but I, I liken it a little bit to the semiconductor industry and you know and how they can take these little chips and the storage capacity of those chips just exponentially increases constantly. It's almost similar to the uh, the penetration of renewables, uh, solar in particular. The costs are just coming down drastically. Uh, Wind has done the same. So maybe it's the pace of that surprises me. The fact that they've grown and continued to penetrate, not at all. I I fully expected that would happen, but it's it's happening awfully quickly. You know, all these uh, municipalities and corporations uh, making their declarations that they want to be 100% green by 2030, 2040, 2050, whatever it is, that's kind of forcing them to have to be a mover in the market and uh, start to get things done. And uh, I think that's going to keep the speed of this thing moving forward because of those public declarations everybody's making. You're right, Mike. I mean, it's a combination of economics. 
the economics for renewables are getting to be pretty compelling. So that's always a motivating factor at the end of the day. But now what you just described also is a highly motivating factor. We, in fact, our most recent virtual presentation, which was uh, on the 14th of this month uh, by Mike Sicardi from Energy Authority, was about ESG criteria, ESG, environmental, societal governance. That all goes part and part with this notion of it's not just about economics. So a lot of the large retail entities that we know and love, like the Googles and the Amazons and the Apples, they're actually getting directly involved in the wholesale marketing space now where they're executing either physical or virtual PPA transactions, power purchase agreements. And that's a very significant trend. And some of that's driven by economics. Some of that is being driven by ESG criteria. They want to be 100% non-carbon. So much so that NEMA recently revised the bylaws such that end-use retail customers who are actively involved in the wholesale space executing those kinds of transactions, they in fact can join NEMA now as market members. We don't have one on board yet, but that's a relatively recent change. And we hope to start bringing those kinds of folks on board relatively soon. Well, that's a, that's a good uh, direction to take your, the, the uh, organization. You've got given a lot of people a lot of different opportunity. But you, like I, being around for 40 years in energy, you know, the moment uh, in the last few years when the virtual PPAs started becoming more popular in every commodity that you and I have lived through. Once the swap started transacting, then that started multiplying the number of deals being done because as we've seen in uh, natural gas and crude oil, once the swaps start transacting, uh, you know, they leave behind the amount of power deal, the physical deals that are done. So I know at your last conference, you had a session or two on the virtuals. And we're just continuing to see people from across the country look to do that, especially the people in the dere- in the regulated states across the country are looking into the virtuals. So absolutely, uh, absolutely, uh, that's be part of the growth. Yep, it, it, it's fascinating to watch that development. That's really been a rapid development. Where you know people in the the the, the Great Plains area where there's lots and lots of wind resource, but they're not deregulated. Large uh, uh, oh the Amazons of the world, I'm drawing a blank on the word, but uh, server farms. So high load, uh, a strong desire to have a renewable supply contract. In some cases, the utilities have instituted uh, reliable renewable tariffs that you know some companies will take advantage of. In some cases, maybe that doesn't fit the bill and they want to do something different. Hence, they go off and do a virtual PPA and they get the advantage and the ability of the economics and to be able to you know, buy renewable virtually in a, a, a still regulated state. Yeah, that's exactly right. I'm curious because one of the things we, we hear about, and you guys have just kind of been talking about it already as far as, you know, and Mike mentioned it, you know, companies, municipalities, you know, setting these deadlines. We got to be green by this time. We got to be green by this time. Um, and we get it. I mean, you know, coal is, is, is quickly falling to the wayside. I mean, uh, you know, we found out, uh, I believe it's from our guy Philip Gonski over in Philly that, you know, for the first time ever, you know, uh, renewable permits, build permits actually out, you know, exceeded coal uh, for the first time ever. On the flip side of that, though, don't you think with where the grid's at, 
All right, because we all know the grid has it's. It, it, there's a lot of work that needs to get done to that as well. I mean, we get it. We got microgrids that are coming on board. We've got you know there, there's, there's battery storage. I mean, there's all this technology that is advancing, as you alluded to, uh, Mr. Shepard. That is that is you know kind of again to, to you know pardon the pun shepherding in this renewable wave. But don't we have to? I mean, can't we coexist in a world where we have fossil fuels and renewables? I mean, aren't they going to have to coexist uh, it, before we, you know, before we see this full-throated renewable revolution? Uh, I would say absolutely. Uh, they're coexisting now, obviously, because you do have. Uh, there's still a fair amount of coal generation out there, notwithstanding all evidence that people want to say coal is dead. Yeah. You know, obviously, coal plants are being shut down at a fairly rapid pace, but there's still an awful lot of megawatts of coal-fired generation out there operational, base load generation, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, at a fairly economic price. Uh, Lots and lots of gas fire generation, either combined cycle or peakers. Uh, tremendous quantity of those megawatts out there, which is funny, not too long ago, that was viewed as, well, that's kind of sort of green because it's better than coal. But now it's still fossil based at the end of the day. So now even gas fire generation is a little bit in the crosshairs, maybe a lot of it, depending on the state and the jurisdiction. But it's still out there. Uh, you know. Long duration economic storage is it's a huge part of the puzzle because it's part of what will make renewable solar, uh, wind, name your technology truly, truly work because the sun doesn't shine at night and the wind doesn't always blow. I mean, that's just stating the obvious and everybody knows it. But truly economic, long duration storage, responsive storage, that's got to become part of the equation. Whether or not we get to a place where all uh, carbon-based, fossil-based generation is no longer operational, I don't know. I have a hard time seeing that happening anytime soon. But I know this jurisdiction is trying to get there, saying we want to be 100% carbon-free by pick a date. So I think it'll be fascinating to see how that all evolves in an economic way. Do you see the the long-term uh, economic store long duration uh economic storage is that to you the biggest hurdle for the renewable side of things taking over and, and again it, it, I'm, I'm i'm with you i don't think it's going to take over anytime soon because again we just we we are so reliant on fossil fuels yes we we see that renewables are are, are making a dent and and we're all we're the, the planet our kids your grandkids, I'm not there yet, guys, uh, are all going to be better off because of it. But as we all know, there are technological, you know, uh, uh, hurdles that we have to get over. Is the is the long term storage to you? Do you see that as being the next big hurdle to cross before renewals renewables become more, you know, fashionably in vogue and just as again, kind of an overall uh, option in 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 the energy side to the well, average person. I don't want to get over my ski tips here because I'm not going to pretend that I'm a technical expert on all these uh, topics. But, sure. you know, it would seem to me that storage in general is certainly a key part of the puzzle. OK, I think uh, a robust transmission network is also a key okay. part of the puzzle because the wind regime exists where it exists. And it's not necessarily adjacent to population centers. So you've, if, if you can't put it, if you don't have it where the population is, you need to get it there unless you do a lot of virtual PPAs. And that introduces a whole lot of other contractual issues. So, you know, there's the ability to economically move it where it needs to be. 
because you don't always have the renewable resource where you'd like it to be. Uh, solar, same issue. You don't always like Colorado, Boulder, fantastic place for solar. Uh, Michigan, it has a place. I'm here to tell you, Michigan can be a pretty gray, cloudy place in the middle of winter. So, it, you know, there's, there's geography, there's transmission, there's technology. There, there's a variety of things that need to be resolved in an economic fashion to truly say, okay, we're going to be 100% nationwide, renewable, zero carbon generation. There's a lot of work to be done still. We'll get you out of here with this, Mr. Shepard. And again, we can't thank you enough uh, for taking time out of your week to jump on here with us on the Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. Um, you you kind of touched it all, touched on it already. Obviously, uh, you know your guys' big uh, events or the, the the fall and spring uh, conferences that have been you know mainstays in the in the energy world. So you know, COVID obviously is going to determine whether that goes down in 2021. So we know that that's obviously the big question for you guys uh, in, in 2021. You're doing the virtual conferences. You're doing the virtual uh, uh, lunch and learns, essentially. Um, let me two-part question, and, and, and then you can go back to your day, sir. One, uh, what else are you looking at in 2021 aside from what we just talked about? Or is that pretty much just, you know, is that going to be the core mission in 2021 is making sure we get these events back off the ground and, and opening up the virtual stuff again? And two, this is more of a personal question for you, sir. Um, did you ever envision this when you came out of retirement, when you took over for NEMA? And are you glad you did it? Uh, the first one's easy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, and I'm glad you asked that because a couple things I did want to mention. So, you know, the spring conference will be in Austin, Texas. Uh, we're just changing the dates right now. So I, I want to say it's going to be in the, the fourth week of April. There'll be an email going out about that. But Lost Pines Resort in Austin, fantastic venue hosted by Keypoint, Uniper Global Commodities, and God bless our host. Uh, they make these conferences possible. They, they provide a lot of support, financial and otherwise. So, you know, without the host, it would be much more challenging to offer these conferences as economically as we do. So Uniper's the host for the spring conference. And then uh, 2021 fall conference, which would be in Philadelphia, is going to be hosted by Customized Energy Solutions. A double thank you to them. They were going to be the host for our spring conference this year, which obviously didn't come about. So they've, you know, volunteered to stay in there and host again. Hopefully this time it will be successful in the, the fall conference in Philadelphia. Um, so again, our, our hosts make all the difference and we greatly appreciate them. Uh, we're going to continue doing the virtual events. Uh, we'll see, we may or may not keep up the twice per month uh, rotation depending on topics and interest. We'll continue to be flexible about that. And ideally I'd love to see us offer the, the small scale regional networking events and that's also very much going to be dependent on, on COVID. But that's that's out there. We'd love to see that happen. Time will tell. Uh, your second question. Obviously, never, ever, ever anticipated this year would be the way it's been. Uh, so there's been lots and lots of opportunities to learn about lots and lots of things. Um, I didn't know what the heck Zoom was not that long ago. Uh, <laughs> know a lot more about it now than I necessarily wanted to, but that's okay. Life is all about learning stuff. So had an opportunity to learn an awful lot of things this year, and hopefully we can just keep the ball moving in a way that's beneficial to the membership. Excellent. Excellent. And, like, and, and you're glad you did it. Absolutely. 
Fantastic, fantastic. Mr. Shepard, I can't say enough uh, for what we learned here today. And, and, and like I said, uh, you guys are certainly doing God's work over there at NEMA uh, as far as getting the word out and just all the uh, the services you provide. And, and again, having to, uh, having to pivot when you had to. And, um, you know, like I said, for you for you to, to, to come in on the, the, the heels of a, uh, you know, entrusted veteran and for you to keep this ship moving and, and not miss a beat certainly says a lot about your uh, your professionalism and your leadership and uh, again we thank you for coming on the show today thank you Fred. thank you mike it's been our pleasure and uh, we appreciate your time today and uh i'll tell you what it was fun let's do this again sometime sounds good Thanks again, once again, to Executive Director of NEMA, North American Energy Markets Association, say that 10 times fast, Mr. Steve Shepard. And uh, Mike, again, as we like to do here on the, on the Green Insider Podcast, is, is we, we like to leave folks with, you know, more knowledge than when you came in. And of course, you know, with NEMA being a third party, you know, excuse me, a third party, kind of a, you know, nonprofit, um, you know, they're there more to just kind of facilitate more so than anything else. Uh, we did get some good insight as just far as how NEMA has grown and, and again they are kind of like a microcosm a little bit of uh, uh, the energy market in a whole and I think the fact that over 50% of their members 148 uh, that they have are now involved in the renewable you know form in some form or fashion says a lot about the renewable uh, growth that we've seen yeah that's exactly right and you know and of that 50% that's involved in renewables Steve enlightened us that 24 are 100% involved in renewables. Yes. And that's a big number, considering not that long ago, they didn't have anybody that was 100%. Exactly. And so the renewable market continues to grow. And we here at the Green Insider, we try to continue to educate. So hopefully everybody does take away more from this than they knew before they started. Absolutely. And of course, uh, definitely go check out NEMA. If you are uh, if you want to become a member, whether it's a company or an individual, go to naema.com. That's naema.com to learn more about how you can become a member. And or if you're interested in any of their virtual events that they're holding now twice a month, uh, it's certainly worth checking that out as well. So uh, once again, thank you to Steve Shepard. Thank you to all for listening as well. Um, again, this is episode 11 of the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. Go check out eRenew.net. Brand new. We're very excited about it. We, we've done some redesign. and uh, Much like the folks over at NEMA who redesigned their website and very pleased with it, we're very excited about the uh, changes we've made to our website as well. Go take a look at it. Follow us on Twitter, at eRenew2020. That's at eRenew2020. And, of course, as we've told you time and time again, whether you go to iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, make sure you subscribe. And then if you're on Apple, we ask that you leave a five-star rating. If you want to leave a review, hey, we're more than happy if you do. If you don't, that's okay, too. But if you leave a rating, make sure it's five, because why? You're going to leave here with more information about uh, the renewable industry than when you came in. And trust us, ladies and gentlemen, that is definitely worth the price of admission. So for President and Founder Mike Niemer, I am your host, Fred Davis. This has been the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable, where we make going green a whole heck of a lot easier. Good night. God bless. God bless.